There's a lot of things you might be not really living up to snuff about right now. Are you getting enough haircuts? Are you shaving enough? Are you keeping up with your personal hygiene? Well, one thing that you don't want to be a loser about is having that dirty car. You know, whether it's just driving around town, whether it's you picking up a friend, you want the clean car. And don't you want the sparkly clean car that you're proud of? Well, guess what? Tommy's Express Car Wash. They are going to hook you up with a great car wash that's going to get that car sparkly nice so that when you go to the store, everybody's looking at your car and says, oh, man, where did that guy get his car washed? It's wash, rinse, repeat at Tommy's Express Car Wash. You can download the Tommy Club app today and enjoy endless washing for one low price. That's right, endless washing for one low price with the Tommy Club app. It's unlimited car washes. Unlimited clean, shiny, and dry. Unlimited use of exclusive app lane. Unlimited access to all Tommy's Express locations, because there's a lot of them. Unlimited guest service. And most importantly, unlimited happiness. They've got the tools and expertise to keep your car clean inside and out. Their wash packages let you pay for the services you want, including Tommy Guard and Body Wax, wheel cleaning and tire gloss, underbody flush and spot free rinse, and vacuuming. So download the Tommy Club app today and enjoy that endless washing. Go to Tommy's Express Car Wash. All right, we got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. F*** that. You don't got time to say All right, let's go. Break it. Break it. Let it cross. Woo! Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. New friend alert. KU has a new commit on the football field. Joe Baker. Very generic name, but Joe has committed to KU. He is a offensive tackle in the class of 2022. 6'4", 250 pounds, obviously not D1 tackle size in terms of the weight, but you take a risk sometimes on kids with the frame. 6'4", 250, add 30, 40 pounds on them, put them into the Gilder Sleeve program that seems to be working pretty well for all of the KU football's re- football players returning back, and boom, all of a sudden you end up with a uh, developmental offensive tackle. He had offers from Colgate, Colorado State, he's unranked, or just unreported, I guess, uh, by 24-7 sports. He's going into his senior season, so I'd imagine he'll get a grade now that once the senior season occurs, especially that he's committed to a Power 5 university, so I'm sure he'll pop up to some extent of a grade. Um, And I believe this is the eighth commit for KU, their second offensive lineman in the class of 2022. It, It almost feels... A little pointless for me to look at some of the recruiting rankings with the Lance Leipold staff because of everything he did at Buffalo on average. Like they had one of the bottom five or so recruiting class averages at Buffalo, and yet they were able to win so many games. So, yes, yeah, certainly you want the best players to come, but I'm not going to sit here and be an expert or say that, hey, crazy that they took a kid who's underseated or wow I can't believe you know they got this kid at who's a high-end three-star it just seems like 
is going to always be about development more than anything. And it'll be something we look back on and maybe five years down the road, we look back and say, can you believe this kid was unseated and KU was able to get him and he turns into something developmental. And that's what you want with Lance Leipold and the coaching staff. And today we are now three weeks away from the start of the KU football season. KU South Dakota, September 3rd, 7 o'clock, right here on KLWN. By the way, cool news about that. We're going to be doing live shows on uh, out at Mama's Tamale Shop, which is right by the stadium. I mean, what, two, three blocks away over on, like, 9th in Mississippi? And uh, we're going to be doing a show that leads into the Crimson and Blue show on Saturdays. So typically the Crimson and Blue show starts an hour and a half before games, right? So on a 7 o'clock game, it would start at 5.30 um, for the first game on a, on the Friday night. Typically we'll be doing an hour-long show before then. So typically we'd be doing, you know, 4.30 to 5.30 for that day for a pregame show beforehand. And we'll be out there at Mama's Tamale Shop where they'll have, like, great food and you can come by. They'll have a taco-making station or, or something set up over there. And we'll have stuff that we're going to be giving away. It'll be right by the stadium. Good spot. You can go get food. But since the first two games are on Fridays, we're just going to do RCST live there. So we'll have RCST live for the first show from 3 to 5.30 at Mama's Tamale Shop. And then the second show, I think the, the second game at Coastal Carolina, or that's a road game. So we won't be out there, actually. I lied. Um, but for the first one, yes, we will be out there from 3 to 5.30. But three weeks from tonight is that first game. We talked with John Thayer, who is the voice of the Coyotes for South Dakota, a few weeks back, and you can listen to all of our team previews because they're now done. South Dakota's a team who have been around 500 the past couple of years, solid team. They're in a tough conference as far as FCS teams go when you're around there with like North Dakota State and so forth. But they've had some good wins, and we talked with John Thayer, and the biggest question marks about this team are the offensive and defensive lines. And that could be huge for KU just because we know those are two of the biggest question marks for this team. I mean, defensive line was kind of a question mark last year anyway, but you still saw the talent, right? You had guys like Marcus Harris and DeJon Terry who showed a lot of potential and, and talent and strong play at times for you on the defensive line, but now they're both gone. So a position group that, wasn't a strength to begin with as far as in comparison to your peers got even more thinned out. And the offensive line, it's hard to be worse than you were last year. They were, like, if you look at pro football focus, they ranked 129th of 130 teams in their offensive line grade. It's hard to be worse than that. They have a lot of players coming back, getting more experience, and players getting that extra senior year due to COVID-19. That should help. And then you just think of some of the transfers you brought in most notably Mike Davitsky, who was listed as one of the top centers in the country by Pro Football Focus. Um, Colin Grunard comes over from Notre Dame to help kind of sure things up as well. So I, I think the offensive line will be better. But either way, you still have questions there. And that is nice to hear that South Dakota is having those same questions. You would think in theory if both schools have questions at a positional unit, KU should have the talent advantage. We've seen in years past, uh, Nichols State is the one that sticks out in my mind, where Nichols State had a ton of returning 
players on the offensive and defensive line. And KU might have had more talent than Nichols State on the offensive and defensive line, but they weren't maybe as experienced or maybe it just didn't show that game early in the season. And Nichols State had the experience and they were able to kind of bully you on the offensive and defensive lines in that game and you got upset by an FCS school for the third time in a decade. I don't think you have to worry about that as much with South Dakota this year, which makes me feel good that they should be able to handle this game. But when I say handle this game, what does that mean? I don't think you're going to see a game when KU just absolutely pasted Rhode Island. I mean, that Rhode Island team was really, really bad, which, funny enough, Rhode Island is like actually good now. But at the time, Rhode Island was basically putting together seasons like KU was just in the FCS. And that was a game that it was like 55 to 10. I remember some fans like stormed the field after. That was kind of odd. This isn't going to be that. This isn't going to be that walkaway win, I would assume. If you can go out there and win this game 38 to 10, 31 to 10, I think you feel good about yourself. But what happens if KU goes out there and struggles a little bit? What happens if it, like the Indiana State game from uh, 2019, it was 24 to 17. Kind of uh, made it a little closer than you needed to at the end of the game, but you ended up coming through at the end there. They've had other games. I, I think last time they played South Dakota, it was, you know, you didn't completely blow them out, but you handled the game. If KU struggles in that, the, the game against South Dakota, is that a precursor moving forward for the rest of the season? I think you have to separate two things here. One, if you struggle against South Dakota, I guess in a sense you could say it's a precursor to struggle the rest of the season, but I don't really think it is. I think it's more so just that you're going, you're, you're having an uphill battle anyway. Whether you do well, whether you win or lose in the South Dakota game, you still have an uphill battle. You might not be favored in any of the other games. So regardless how you do in that South Dakota game, you're going to be facing that uphill battle the rest of the way. If KU goes out there and, and wins, you know, 24-17 or something and doesn't look all too impressive, I, I think I blame it more on the fact that the staff just hasn't really had full time to install everything. And so, yes, if you lose the game, that likely signals a zero or one win season. But even if you win the game 55-10, to 10, it still might only secure. I mean, the Vegas over-under is one and a half wins right now. And you're expected to win that game. So it's it's not as if to say, if you struggle here, that what does that mean moving forward? Just go out and try to get a win any way possible. It's going to be your best chance at a win. But it's funny because the game against South Dakota is obviously the best chance that KU has for a win. But because of the time constraint of just having the coaching staff take over so late in the game, I mean, Lance Leipold and the staff hadn't seen the quarterbacks in action until like a week ago. So because of the time constraint, it'll also be without a doubt the worst version of KU that we see on that Friday night. And it's all relative, right? Like we could see a better version of KU against a better opponent and you still lose handily. It's all relative there. And all teams get better as the season goes on. 
playing, learning how to play with each other, whether it's on the offensive line or just in general, finding out what players do and don't do well, seeing players in a game situation. Some players are just gamers and others are more workout warriors and kind of figuring that stuff out. And then just the more you go along, the more experience you get, every team is going to get better over the course of the season. Now, the lone exception to that is obviously like injuries. If one of your stud players is injured, you're going to be worse when he's out in week eight than you were in week two, for instance. But whenever we think of like, for instance, the Kansas City Chiefs Super Bowl winner, that wasn't the same team that was the Chiefs in week six of two years ago. You just get better over the course of the season. And you get a lot better. The biggest improvement comes between week one and week two, in my opinion. So all teams get better there. But I think for KU specifically, given all the time constraints, I think that'll be twofold for KU this season. Because with that learning curve under the new staff, with that limited time to come in, it's not only that you're going to get better as the season goes on, it's not only that you're going to have that jump from week one to week two, but it's that the jump is exponential because every day that the coaching staff is spending with these kids and coaching them up has a higher percentage of impact given that they've had less days total than maybe some other teams. So it's funny because if they struggle against South Dakota, I say who cares? Just win the game any way possible. 20 to 17, if it takes overtime, whatever it takes, just try to get the win because your team is going to get better that next week and your team is going to have a vast room for improvement, not just because of where things are right now with room to grow, but just in terms of not maybe being able to have everything fully installed that you'd normally be used to in a regular college season. So I'm not going to take that, you know, as a slight if they barely win the game. Just find a way to win. Get out of it with a victory. Start 1-0. Keep the momentum building forward. And then work on it from there. FM 1017-1320-KLWN's Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Chiefs play their first preseason game. That'll be tomorrow at 7.30 against the San Francisco 49ers on the road. I think we can all just, you know, agree and, and set aside the initial prerogative that most important thing, stay healthy. You hear that all the time for preseason games. And more specifically, you know, Patrick Mahomes, stay healthy. Okay, we got the obvious out of the way. Um, the thing I'm most intrigued by in this game is just what the offensive line looks like. Patrick Mahomes hasn't lost a game in the month of September. Andy Reid's been really good in the month of September. The offensive line might be counterintuitive to how we typically see this team just come out and look miles ahead of their competition to start the season. Because typically, offensive lines take some time to mesh together. And when you're adding so many new parts which the Chiefs are. I mean, Orlando Brown, he was on the Ravens last year. Joe Tooney, he was on the Patriots last year. Creed Humphrey, who seems likely to start at center, was on Oklahoma a season ago. Your right guard, Trey Smith, he was on Tennessee, uh, the college Tennessee, not the professional Tennessee last year. And right tackle, whether it's Lucas Niang, who 
sat out last season for COVID and the year before was in college at TCU, or if it's Mike Remmers, it's a brand new group playing together. It's going to take some time, especially at that position. So it might be a little bit into the season before you really see the the benefits of all that you invested in that offensive line. Because there is a lot invested. $80 million for Tooney. Trading a first-round pick for Orlando Brown and assumedly giving him a bunch of money because he's due for an extension after this year and you don't trade for a guy like that just to let him walk in free agency. Second-round pick into Creed Humphrey. What, a third-round pick into Lucas Niang? I mean, there's a lot invested in the offensive line, so you want to see that right off the bat. I'm just not so sure it's going to happen at that position. Now, that said, going against the 49ers here, that's a really good defense. That's a really good defensive line. If they do look good, and we're only going to see them for a limited amount of time, Andy Reid said starters are going to get the first quarter, second string will get the second, third string will get the third, fourth string will get the fourth. We're only going to see, who knows, one or two drives with the offensive line, at least the first team. But if you go out there and show your worth right off the bat against a good defensive front in San Francisco, now you're ahead of the game. But I'm still not expecting it, and I wouldn't be overly concerned if there are a few breakdowns, they struggle a little bit, because I could see that unit being one where, you know, it's fine early on, and then by the time you hit to week seven, week eight, all of a sudden it's one of the better offensive line units in the NFL. And that's the goal here. Get it right for the middle part, the end part of the season, so that you can make that push in the postseason. I'm also interested to see what Clyde Edwards-Alaire looks like, if he can have a breakout season. The Chiefs also signed Jarek McKinnon, and I'm interested to see what role he plays into the offense if he takes away anything from Clyde Edwards-Alaire. Same with a guy like Darrell Williams. But I wonder if this could be the quote-unquote breakout season for Clyde. Uh, last year, it didn't really come together. Now, he had the injury at the end of the year. But even before then, you know, it was a solid season. There were some people who, like, from a fantasy football perspective, were taking this guy in the first round, the middle of the first round. And he was more of like a, instead of being a top five to ten running back in that regard, he was more middle of the pack, around your 20th best running back or so in the NFL, just from, like, a fantasy football perspective. I think this is your opportunity. When you look at everything that's been discussed about what the Chiefs are going to do about that second receiver spot. Is McCole Hardman going to step up? And certainly those questions are other ones to watch. You know, what about guys like Demarcus Robinson and Byron Pringle? Is having another viable tight end and Noah Gray make the difference? The way I view this, though, is simple. You beefed up the offensive line. So even though, like I said, that might take a little bit of time to mesh together, I think it takes probably a little bit longer to mesh together from a pass protection perspective, right? Knowing who is blocking who, they're stunting, or they're bringing this guy from a blitz here. From the run game, yes, it takes some time, but I don't think as much time as developing the pass blocking because it's more about just, hey, just this is our scheme, like go maul this guy, or it's part of the play, you're blocking this guy, and you're just going to be aggressive and charge forward on him. He should benefit from the stronger offensive line. 
without a second receiver, do the Chiefs or second receiver that maybe you trusted as much as Sammy Watkins, do the Chiefs try to run the football a little bit more and come closer to balancing the splits? You know, you're never going to be 50-50 with Patrick Mahomes, but instead of being a 65-35 team, do you get closer to 58-42 or 60-40? So do you have more carries in you there? But I think most of all with Clyde Edwards-Alaire, this doesn't just go to like a, a his production thing and, and a fantasy outlook of it, but also from a Chiefs perspective, I think there is a lot of untapped potential there with what he can do for you in the passing game. If he can be a guy who can really help take some of the pressure off in that regard to giving you another viable receiver, whether it's him catching passes out of the backfield, whether it's him running a, a wheel route, out of the backfield, whether it's him even lining up in the slot and running receiver routes like we saw when Kareem Hunt was in Kansas City. Those are all things that would really help make up for not having that go-to second option, I guess third option if you want to count, you know, Travis Kelsey as a receiver. So Tyreek Hill, Travis Kelsey, having that more reliable third option. And we just didn't really see that last year with Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. He wasn't as much involved in the passing game as we thought. He very much was in his last year at LSU with Joe Burrow and Joe Brady calling the offense. So you think that is in his game, and that's there. Maybe that gets unlocked, and that's something that I want to see tonight. He Again, he might only get one, two, three drives in this game. I want to see if he gets a couple throws his way because there weren't many of them a season ago. So those are the two things I'm watching the most. It's the offensive line, because again, I still think it's going to take some time, but if you are ahead of schedule, then that's a really good sign for that unit. And Clyde Edwards-Alaire for not just how good he can be, if he can be a breakout candidate, but how impactful he can be for the offense as far as some of the receiving game goes. FM 1017, 1320 KLWN's Rock Jock Sports Talk. Brandon McAnderson going to join us in 15 minutes, talk a little KU football. But on the other side, we talked with the KU running backs coach. That would be one Jonathan Wallace. It's a pretty good unit for KU. Seems like you have kind of a four-headed monster with Amari Pesek-Hickson, Belton Gardner, who was back at practice today, Devin Neal, and uh, Daniel Hyshaw. Four guys who you feel confident in that can really carry the load for you at any point over the course of the season. Let's hear that conversation that the media had with Jonathan Wallace on the other side. I'm Derek Johnson. This is RCST. It's a Friday, which means it is Brandon McAnderson time with us here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk, FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. So, BMAC, before we get into some KU football talk, last week you were, I mean, arguably one of the greatest athletes in the state, in the city, in the country. I don't know, because you got to participate in a bunch of different sports. So, Round Ball Classic, you scored a bucket. I don't know how you did with bowling. You also hit a home run on the softball field. So how would you grade your performances in each of the three athletic endeavors you participated in last week? Ooh, I'm going to go with, I'm going to go with the solid uh, B. So, so basketball, I usually don't play very much. And what I found is that it is actually complicated, more complicated than I thought for me to disguise my competitiveness. <laughs> and the, 
the more I played in basketball, the more I'm like, oh, I love basketball. <laughs> so I'm going to start guarding people. <laughs> start trying to get you. And uh, so that was really interesting. Uh, bowling's always fun, and it was the bowling event was awesome because I really thought it was a great way for everyone to kind of experience the you know collective personalities of all those involved. That was awesome. And then softball, I'm thinking I'm just gonna come out here and take it easy, tell some jokes, and I look over and Kathleen Sebelius is playing center field, and they're bombing the ball over her head, and I'm like, oh, I've got to be a gentleman and run over there and grab these balls. So I'm sprinting all over the outfield. So I'm like, okay, well, if I'm running on defense, I'm playing. Like, this is, it's, I'm competing now because I can't just leave Kathleen out here by herself. Uh, so that kind of got my juices flowing. Then hitting that grand slam, it was awesome to have a moment like that because I've never played softball before. So uh, it was a lot of fun. You've never played softball before and you hit a grand slam? Yeah, I had never played. I, <laughs> I had asked, I had a baseball club. That's why, so the, that didn't make the, the, the highlights. I bobbled the first two um, fly balls. I'm like, oh, my God. And then I went back to the dugout, and I asked one of the players that's a real softball person. They're like, yeah, you just have a small glove. So then I switched, you know, switched to a softball glove. I didn't have any more issues. And I'm like, okay, well, now I want to compete. That's That's incredible. See, there's moments like these sometimes where – you just think that, oh, well, hey, he he's plays this specific sport, and you, you forget that, no, these are just like world-class athletes, and just, I don't know, it's just uh, such a bummer for normal people like me sometimes. Uh, <laughs> we're talking with Brandon McAnderson here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. So you got to go out to practice as well um, last week, I believe, with, with Todd Reese and stuff. Was there anything that stuck out to you just in terms of how they were moving, and how they were organized, and so forth? There was a lot of stuff that stuck out. Um, the first thing that stuck out was just the physical improvement. That I find that to be pretty amazing. It, you know, Coach Gildersleeve might as well have like a uh, infomercial: change your body in ninety days, because that's exactly <laughs> what happens. These guys made astronomical, and I'm. This is not me talking. This will be what everyone sees when they watch the team walk on the field. Now, I don't know if there's diehards that 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 follow as closely as I do. Uh, but this is not something that I that needs to be said. This is something that you will see the moment you see the football team. These guys are physically improved at a level that's pretty pretty astonishing, given the time period of which Coach Gildersleeve and company arrived. Because I watched the spring practice, so this, I had a reference point. I watched spring practices in in late April, early May. This has been some kind of turnaround in terms of just the physical improvement, and then the practice itself was just very intuitive. Very creative, very quick. I mean, they are flying through drills and reps. They they take separate periods to go over different things. It's just it was it was a super fun process to be a part of. How similar was what you saw to the Mangino days, as opposed to maybe some of the past coaching staffs? So the past coaching staffs, I think I'm not going to be super critical of them because I didn't see all of them practice. I did see a less mile practice, um, which was very methodical and tedious, kind of what you expect, but not at the level in terms of the speed. I thought that that's the biggest difference uh, for the team that we played for. Coach Mangino and our staff, we flew through practice. You're talking about we had real urgency, and that, that's what stuck out to me. Is I thought that they had a lot of similarities, except they were going even faster. Uh, so I was. you can't help but be impressed when you're watching a two-huddle system 
that can switch out a whole defense in between the time it takes for the play to end and the second huddle on offense to get up to the football, they had a whole new defense lined up ready to play. So it was I was floored in terms of them maximizing reps. You know, we talked a lot about hiring a staff that could prepare a team under these difficult circumstances. It looks like uh, Coach Leifold and staff considered all those things in, in, the, in formulating these pre preseason practices. Well, I think it's interesting too. Like every time we've gotten to talk to the players and, and ask them about maybe some of the differences or uh, the the faster speed in practice and so forth, a lot of the guys have followed it up with you know, and that's what we need, or it's a good thing, or something along those lines. Which I don't know is it, is it just that easy to tell that these guys have bought into the new coaching staff? It's absolutely that easy to tell, and I think it's more than a combination of it's more than just one thing. I think it's multiple things. I think it's one, the coaches that that stayed on the staff, they bought in first, right? Because that's a big part of it is getting guys like Emmett Jones and Coach Jackson and Coach Drake to buy into the new staff and the new vision for the program. Secondly, that physical improvement is another example of people buying in. You always had access to the weight room. You always had access to difficult workouts. What's different about what's happening now as opposed to what happened before is just that, buy-in. These guys see Coach Gildersleeve as an ally. They see him as an asset, and they use him as such. And that's just something that has not happened in the past. So you want to look at buy-in, look at weight room improvements. We're talking with Brandon McAnderson, former KU Orange Bowl winning running back, member of the Jayhawk Radio Network. Uh, We got to talk with Jonathan Wallace earlier today after KU practice, uh, the running backs coach. Uh, It's a pretty good room, obviously, when you have, you know, Velton Gardner, Daniel Hyshaw, Maury Pesek-Hickson, Devin Neal kind of as the the front runners there. Uh, what do you envision the usage of the different backs will be this season? Like, do you think it's just as simple to say as, you know, Velton Gardner we're going to use to emphasize his speed on those specific plays and packages, and Daniel Highshaw will be the guy who's the power back, so to speak. Do you think it's just that simple where it's just maximizing different players' skill sets? Yeah, I think it is that simple. You know, with Velton, you'll have a guy you want to get on the edge and get in space. He'll be a specialty type back. Devin Neal, I think, will be more than this in his career. But early on, I think he'll be a specialty type back, a package guy, maybe some passing game stuff. But Pesek Hickson and Hyshaw can do everything. Those guys can do everything a small back can do. They can do everything a big back can do. And they can help you in the passing game, both as pass protectors and as pass catchers. Talking with Brandon McAnderson here. Every time I've heard coaches and players talk about some of the athletic freaks or guys who have had some of that growth that you mentioned with with Matt Gildersleeve in the weight room and so forth, Amori Pesek-Hickson seems to get brought up, whether it's a speed thing, just for how big he is with his speed, or having a 40-plus inch vertical, just some of those numbers. How good do you think Pesek-Hickson can be here at Kansas? Unlimited. Like that? David Lawrence and I were watching practice uh, last week, and every time he ran the ball, Coach Lawrence was like, man, we're going to have to hose Brandon off. (laughs) (laughs) This guy is special, special. And what I mean by that is you can watch him get small now, which last year, you know, he's so inexperienced. You didn't get to see a lot of it. He only had that one game where they primarily just asked him to be a runner. But if you watch his high school film, they split him out and played him in the slot. He has great hands. So this guy, to me, the guy to look out for is Pesci Kickson. He looks and moves like John Cornish, so a smooth, slashing-type back. But he's 230 pounds. So this is not just a speed back, just a power back. He's a little bit of everything 
you're talking about a 235-pound guy that's nearly 6'2", you know, that can jump out the gym, that has all the wiggle and all the top-end speed you need. I think he's more than just one of the best players on this team or projected as one of the best players on this team. I think he might be special um, in, a, in a big way as, as we move forward. And there were also some good athletic numbers on Devin Neal. I think they uh, it got released that he had like the top speed on the team in terms of mile per hour. Uh, is that just the easiest way to get on the field as a freshman? Just have a lot of speed, be really fast. Yeah, and, and running back's a good position to start a guy because you can protect him from some of the things that might be his weakness. I do think that Devin is a very, very raw player. He just, you know, in the same way as Jalen Daniels, he just turned 18. Um, so this guy is very, very early in his career. And guys that come in at that age don't look like him. You know, this guy is a six foot, 210, rocked up uh, kind of guy. So he's someone that I think, at the end of the day, unlimited potential, but he could serve a purpose right now as well. I know you've been bullish on the idea that there could be big improvement for the offensive line. Uh, how much do you think playing in that zone running style is just going to help the offensive line in general? I think it's going to help them a lot. And, you know, any college offense is doing some elements of that anyway. So Les Miles and Dearman, they were doing some of that stuff anyway. So it's not something they're completely inexperienced at. I think what they're getting a taste of is coaching expertise in something simple. So I know every level they've been, every team they've been on, they've ran this scheme to some extent. But what's different is this is a staff that has been able to prove and teach it as a foundation that led to championships, that led to conference championships, that led to multiple double-digit win seasons. So you're seeing more of teaching, coaching specialists up front, and I think they'll reap the benefits just from that coaching bump. If the offense is going to be tailored around the running game and that zone run game specifically, do you think that gives a specific QB the edge or at least what you think would maybe make the most sense in terms of just style of play? I think quarterback from the – I've been to two practices. I think it's the hardest – so the first day I was there, they were very basic. So they didn't do a lot with the quarterback. And then the second day, I was there to get a little bit more. And they were, I said my visits were about a week apart. So it's, I think it's so hard to tell what you're going to get from the quarterbacks right now just because I think you're trying to put in the offense as a whole and focus on your base plays and what you want to be good at before you get really deep in the playbook in terms of what you do in practice. So I think they're at the very beginning of what they want to do um, over the course of the season. So I think they're being very patient and bringing those guys along. And I think what you're going to see at the start of the season is you're going to see the quarterback that they trust the most processing information. And then later on, it, it could be the same guy. The guy that's, that's the furthest along in terms of their understanding and the guy that's the most talented could end up being the same guy. But I think you're going to look for, in a quarterback early in the season, you're going to look for trust, someone that can get through the checks, someone that knows the general base of the offense, someone that can operate within it with a, with a level of trust that can kind of facilitate the other strengths of the team. And then as the season progresses, you'll see, you know, like I said, it could be the same guy. I think there's no separation uh, from the practices I've seen. I've seen them all do very nice things in terms of uh, Kendrick, Daniels, and Bean. So I don't think there's any separation between the three. Well, what I think is interesting is, to your point on, you know, that could be the same guy uh, week one moving forward, I, I looked yesterday and just kind of did a deep dive on, how Lance Leipold has, has handled that quarterback position in the past. And 
in his time at Buffalo, every single year, they basically stuck with one guy. Now, there are certain years where you can go and look and say, well, this guy threw 150 passes, he threw 100, and say, that's not true. But the only reason why that happened was because of injury. So barring injury, I feel like whoever the staff determines is the guy after week one. And I mean, this even includes some years where, you know, the quarterback was throwing 15 interceptions to 16 touchdowns and they still stuck with that one guy. So I kind of feel like whoever is that week one starter, they're just going to say, yeah, you know, barring 10 touchdowns, 20 interceptions, like you got to make a change at that point. But barring that or injury, I feel like they're just going to kind of stick with their initial valuation and just say, hey, we're not going to get you better. We're not going to see that progression unless we keep you in there. Absolutely. I think that's a cause of coaching staff continuity. If you look at the quarterback revolving door that Kansas has been, you could tell kind of from the reactions and the interviews of the staff that the OC might have had a favorite, the head coach might have had a favorite, the wide receiver coach might have had a favorite. They might have been split amongst the staff. But I don't think you're going to see that with this staff because you're looking at a quarterback coach um, in Zabrowski and Kodolecki as the OC, those guys being co-OCs, and then Leipold as you know the, the leader of that triangle. Those guys have been together for double-digit years, all of them. So they're not going to have as much dissension in, in terms of who they think is ready right now. They're going to have a more clear, streamlined view of who they think gives them the best chance to win. He's Brandon McAnderson, former Jayhawk Orange Bowl winning running back, member of the Jayhawk Radio Network, is the sideline analyst. He'll be out uh, doing some broadcast stuff with the open practice tomorrow for KU football. BMAC, thank you so much for the time, man, and uh, maybe see you around tomorrow at Memorial Stadium. Yes, sir. We'll see you soon. All right, that was Brandon McAnderson joining us here as he does every Friday on Rock Chalk Sports Talk, talking a little KU football. FM 1017, 1320, KLWN's Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Joined in by Mark Francis, the 23rd year head coach of the KU women's soccer team. Coached 12 players who started a match and six who started double-digit games returned for you this year. Uh, what's the team looking like as we get ready for the start of the season with the exhibition match tonight? Uh, yeah, it's been good. Really good, actually. Um, <clears throat> you know, half of the, I mean, we've got 26 players, you know, 13 of them are freshmen and sophomores. So it's a really young group. Um, a lot of them did start uh, last year, and obviously we had kind of a weird season with the split season, but uh, we didn't have our seniors in the spring, um, and three of them started. And so we had um, a lot of opportunity for some of the younger players to get in and play and start, and so I think that's going to really help those younger guys going into this season, that experience. But no, the group's been very good, uh, very coachable, unbelievable work ethic, and uh, we're, we're excited about the group. Stylistically, is there anything that you look at doing different in this year, given your roster, or is it more of a uh, trying to fit a certain system? No, stylistically, I, I mean, I don't think the style's changed in the 23 years I've been here, to be honest. I mean, I have a certain way I want to play, and we always play that. We'll try to play that way. Um, I think the formation that we're playing, I think we've tweaked it a little bit based on the personnel. Um, with the wide players being more attacking orientated rather than defensive orientated. And I think, uh, again, based on personnel, uh, we feel like the skill set of some of the players that play in those wide positions, I think they can offer us a little bit more offensively. So we've kind of tweaked that a little bit, but that's really the only change, I'd say. Ryan Childers led your team in goals a season ago, and she's back. What makes her so good? 
Yeah, Rylan, you know, she, she's she got so many different facets to her game. I mean, she can she's good on the dribble uh, coming out of the midfield. Um, and, you know, she's out, you know, the leading goal scorer, and that's coming out of a midfield position. So um, we try to give her a little bit more of a free reign um, as far as making runs from deeper positions to get forward. Um, but she's, you know, she, she can connect, she's a connector, but she can also penetrate and cause problems on the dribble. So a little bit hard to deal with, especially coming out of the middle of the field. Sometimes it's hard to track her defensively. So I think that's one of the things that really helps, uh, create space and opportunities for her. Talking with Mark Francis here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Uh, the exhibition tonight is at Rock Chalk Park at 7 o'clock against UMKC. So what are you looking to get out of your team tonight in this exhibition match? Well, I think with so many young guys, I think, you know, during preseason, really preseason in soccer is kind of unique in the sense that we started preseason training on August 2nd. Um, today's the 13th, so 11 days ago we had our first training session with this team. So um, everything's really been about the team tactics um, and getting everybody on the same page. You know, you know, we have a lot, as you said, a lot of returning players. So for those guys, it was really just reminders. But biggest thing is, is for the, uh, the freshmen is getting them on the same page as far as what we want to do and how we want to do it in the different phases of the game, you know, attacking, defending, and transition. So for tonight, I would say just, you know, to see if any of those um, parts of the game um, have gone really, really well, and there's a lot of understanding of what we want to do. And then also, I think, what are the areas that going into training next week, getting ready for the first regular season game, what are areas we need to address and spend some more time on? That's probably the biggest thing. Uh, is it weird at all coaching against one of your former players in Jessica Smith like you will be tonight? Uh, yes. First time, actually, I've coached against Jess. And then next week, we play Drake on Thursday at, at Rockshaw Park. And Lindsey Horner, their coach, is also one of my former players. So, and I've actually coached against Lindsey before. But I've coached against Jess as an assistant when she was at Kansas State, um, but never as the head coach. So, no, it's cool. It's It's great to see when... Young women want to get into this profession and they're able to get to the position where they're a head coach at a Division One program. I think it uh, makes me proud that uh, we have former Jayhawks doing that, you know? Yeah, and we've seen a lot of great players come through the program as well. Uh, how much has Rock Chalk Park really helped grow this program overall? Uh, it's, it's been unbelievable. I mean, I, I can't tell you. Um, coach Miller and I, the first 16 years at Kansas, you know, we had the worst facility by far in the Big 12. No lights, no restrooms, no concessions, no press box. It was literally just a grass field with a few aluminum bleachers. And it just hurt us from a recruiting standpoint. And now, I mean, you look at the last five years, we've been to the tournament, or six years, we've been to the tournament. Four out of those six, we've won one Big 12 title and we were in the final of another Big 12 tournament. So there's no coincidence that that coincides with since we've been at Rockshaw Park. Now when we bring a recruit in, the atmosphere is completely different. Um, I, I think we've been able to create a pretty good atmosphere at, at the stadium. Um, and I think people come to games and enjoy it and come back. And so I think that's it's been a massive, massive game changer for us. It really has. Have you thought about it all, what it's going to be like this season actually being in stadiums, including Rock Chalk Park, that are going to have more of those fans? And is it? do you think just going to sound louder than a normal year? Oh, yeah, yeah. It was weird last year. I mean, you know, I watched a lot of the English Premier League and 
you know, those guys are playing in empty stadiums and, and, and it's the same thing for us. You know, I think it just adds something to the event, you know, for the players, for the staff. Um, and also, I think, for just for the general public, being able to go out and watch live sports again, um, being in a little bit more of a normal setting uh, is going to be awesome. So, yeah, we're excited to host people. And uh, I know we're going to put a good product on the field and hopefully we'll, uh, people will come out and, uh, and watch the ladies and, um, and enjoy what they see. I'll leave you with this one, Coach, and, and good luck tonight. Um, obviously, this summer we got to see the uh, the UEFA Euro, and for England it ended rather tragically in the uh, penalty shootout. Uh, was was that a, a big watch party for you? How, how'd that go as a native from London? You had to bring that up, didn't you? <laughs> you had to bring that up. You had to bring that up. <laughs> Uh, no, I, I was uh, I was at the Red Lion downtown Massachusetts Street with some of my fellow countrymen, um, commiserating. And uh, no, it was it was a tough day, honestly, to be to be English. It really was. Now proud of them getting there, and I think the cop Gareth Southgate did an unbelievable job with the national team. You know, we were in the semi-final of the last World Cup, so we're getting a little bit closer now. Now we're all all, all eyes are looking to the next World Cup. You know, so. Yeah, it was a tough day. I'm not going to lie. It was a tough day to be an Englishman, really. You mentioned Gareth Southgate, and I remember at the uh, 20, uh, what would that have been, 2016, 2018, the last World Cup, and they mentioned that a lot of the set pieces that uh, he was utilizing, he would learn from NBA teams and just kind of watch from them and, and get creative ideas. Have you ever just had like a weird creative idea that's come to you, whether it's just been like at a restaurant and you jot it down on a napkin or just watching another sport that's turned into a set piece idea for you? Um, I don't know about set pieces. I've definitely gotten ideas from other sports in terms of whether it be a training thing or uh, like how they dealt with a player in a situation, things like that. I mean, Coach Self, I think, is, is phenomenal at, you know, managing his players, like not just on the court, but off the court. Um, I think I, I go, whenever possible, I go watch their training sessions and um, in practice and just watch him and how he just handles the players. Um, and, uh, you know, you got resources like that in your own backyard, you want to take advantage of them for sure. So, but definitely, definitely some, some carryover from some other sports, is no doubt. He's Mark Francis, head coach, entering his 23rd season with the Kansas women's soccer team. Coach, I uh, hope to see you tonight out at Rock Truck Park, 7 o'clock, UMKC. You can go out to that game. Thanks uh, for the time. Well, appreciate it. Thanks a lot for having me on, and you guys are going to have a great rest of your day, great weekend. All right, that was Mark Francis, the head coach of the KU women's soccer team, joining us here on Rock Truck Sports Talk. I'm Derek Johnson. You're listening in on FM 1017-1320-KLWN. Depend on it. I've had a little extra pep in my step today, and it's not necessarily because it's Friday, not necessarily because we're three weeks out from the start of KU football season or that the Chiefs' first preseason game is tomorrow. I think it is just because I have been waiting to release this new segment today on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. If you haven't been like on the internet at all over the last, I don't know, month or two, you might not be aware to this video of this guy who's at like a grocery store. And I, I, I don't know what caused the fight or anything. I've only seen like a minute long clip of it, but the most famous part from it and people use it on social media all the time to kind of mess around is this clip right here. You're not that guy, pal. Trust me. You're not that guy. 
<laughs> it's this guy who's super mad about whatever was going on at the grocery store and says just that, which brings us to our segment here. You know, I've been I've been kind of uh, letting this soak in, thinking about what I want to do with this because there are options here. And so we're going to call this segment, as he said, you are not that guy, pal. But what we're going to do in the segment specifically is we're going to look at people who you're just not that guy, pal. And some people might be that guy. So let's get into it, and we'll see how this goes. First up, Derek Carr. Sorry, buddy. You're not that guy, pal. Derek Carr just turned 30 in the offseason. This is what he said earlier this week. Quote, I feel like I can play another 15 years without a doubt. Nothing's hurting. It's the middle of camp, and I feel great. I feel strong. I feel fast. I feel explosive. And I think it's just the way we train now. I feel like I'm 20. I honestly believe this, that our generation, the way we can take care of our bodies with football, I think 30 is the new 20. That comes from science, and that comes with more understanding. I honestly feel stronger, faster, better than I first did when I got to the NFL. Now, he's not wrong necessarily about, specifically for the quarterback position, right? Like running back still, you have your your quick churning of that in many other positions as well. But quarterback, the way they're protected a lot more, you can go through a longer career. So he's not wrong in that. But the, I feel like I can play another 15 years. L- let's put the brakes on that a little bit, right? Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady, they're showing, yeah, you can do it until you're near 40 or in your 40s. But this is Derek Carr. Chill out on the, hey, I'm in that group too. I know you guys always talk about Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady, but I can do what they're doing. And in the same way every year, we get all these analysts talking about the Dark Horse Chargers. That, you know what? Oh, this is the team to watch in the, in the AFC West, which honestly, to be fair, like this year, it actually might have legs when you have Justin Herbert after the rookie year he had. And that gives it more credence that maybe this is finally the time, but it just happened so much in the past that it just makes this seem like, yep, we've fallen for the trap again this year. But every single season we get that. We also, at the same time, every single season with Derek Carr, it's been about like, oh, could this be the year he takes off? I remember the year that the Raiders were on hard knocks. This would have been, I don't know, two, three years ago. They talked about the sixth-year quarterback bump on one of their preseason broadcasts. Like, this is when guys usually take off their sixth year, and there was, like, no rhyme or reason to it. It's just, this is what's happening with Derek Carr now. This is what we get. And I don't blame Derek Carr for wanting to play that long. Want to play as long as you want. Make as much money. You know, win as many games. But to play that long, you have to be really freaking good. You have to be Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, Peyton Manning. Derek Carr is like an above-average quarterback. So sorry, Derek Carr. You're not that guy, pal. Trust me. You're not that guy. Jalen Green was the number two pick in the NBA draft a couple weeks ago. Out at Summer League, he's balling. And he actually had a matchup with Cade Cunningham, who was the number one pick, one spot in front of him. Jalen Green wins the game, has a nice matchup. This was the post-game interview that he had with whoever the sideline reporter was. You're used to battling with with Cade. You were even teammates with him. But what was it like going up against him for the first time as pros? Uh, it was fun. He's a good player. He battled back. Um, 
yeah, I mean, I have respect for him. So that's the reason we come on the court and we're going to battle there every time. So it was a good game overall. I mean, we know you have respect for him, but you've made it known that you felt like you're the best prospect in this draft. Yeah. How big has your chip been playing here in Las Vegas? Uh, my chip been super big. It started at draft night when I got drafted number two. Um, I felt like I was number one, but I mean, it's just the work I gotta put in. I can't, I gotta keep the tip on my shoulder from where I'm from. My family installed it into me, so I'm just keeping it better every day. My chip is super big since I got picked number two. He was the second pick in the draft. He's making millions and millions of dollars. He is being viewed by the Rockets as their next franchise player. And he has a giant chip on his shoulder. Dude, you were not picked in the second round. I think it'd be silly even if you said you had a giant chip on your shoulder if you were picked like seventh. Even in the lottery, you were still a lottery pick. You were picked second in a year where the guy who went number one was like this generational talent. You cannot have a giant chip on your shoulder. I'm sorry. You are not allowed. Banned. You know, get whatever motivation you want in your head, but you cannot have that. You cannot have a chip on your shoulder for being the number two pick. Sorry, Jalen Green. You're not that guy, pal. Trust me. You're not that guy. Last one is Joe Lenardi, who released his 2022 bracketology three days ago. That's right. There have been, wait, let me check, zero games played for the 2021 to 22 season so far. It looks like the best win from any team. Well, everybody. Nobody has a bad loss. Nobody has a bad win. This is great. So everybody is in the tournament, right? No, not so fast. I don't even know how you do this. Bracketology is supposed to be evaluating based on resumes. Everybody has the same resume. But if it helps people, Kansas was a one seed. Syracuse, man, this sucks for Syracuse. I know they're 0-0. Zero and zero and they haven't accomplished any wins and, and haven't done anything this season, but they're the first team out. You know, that's tough. And Mississippi State, man, they really hung on by their fingernails. They're the last team in. So congrats to both those teams. Really hard to discern between the two 0-0 zero zero records between Syracuse and Mississippi State. Sorry, Joe Lenardi. You're not that guy, pal. Trust me. You're not that guy. Okay, now's when we get to the positives of, that seg of this segment, which is... You are that guy, pal. J.R. Smith. J.R. Smith is that guy. J.R. Smith has enrolled at North Carolina A&T and wants to join the school's golf team. This is a fantastic story. If you remember, J.R. Smith never played college. He went straight to the NBA out of high school, enjoyed a double-digit year career in the NBA. NCA and t Athletics spokesman Brian Holloway told ESPN the J.R. Smith is officially enrolled in the school and has petitioned the NCAA to be eligible to play. Smith's clock to compete as a collegiate athlete has not yet started because he went to the NBA right after high school. Athletes, in most cases, get five years to complete four years of eligibility. And this is what Smith told uh, reporters after a golf event on Wednesday. Ray Allen kind of convinced me. We had a little golf trip. And he was talking about some of the things he was doing, about going back to school and challenging yourself for us athletes. I really took heed to it and decided to go back. And one of the best liberal studies programs is at A&T, which is a historically black college. And, you know, more power to you. If you want to go get your degree in college, good for you. I have a hard time believing, though, that J.R. Smith is going to 
like attend this 400 person lecture hall. You know what I mean? That just feels like it's not going to happen. But hey, if he wants to do it and, you know, train your mind, like good for you. I feel like it's just really hard to when you're a multi multi millionaire go through the ringer of, hey, did you turn in this homework here? <laughs> like that's that's the biggest key of it. Like, can you see J.R. Smith writing a ten-page essay, or do you just look at your bank account and go, "Yeah, I've made this much money." I wonder how much J.R. Smith has earned for his career. I'm gonna actually look this up. But here's the two big hurdles to clear for J.R. Smith. One of them is he has to get his academic records in order because I mean, think about it. He graduated high school 17 years ago, so. Like, do you even still have access to that? I don't, I don't know how that works. I'm sure it's databased somewhere. But how does that all translate? Because rules with what's accepted, what's not academically, it might have changed between now and then for what you need from an athlete 17 years ago. Like, is he going to have to go take the ACT or the SAT again or something? I I don't know how that works. Um, the other hurdle is obviously he made a lot of money in the NBA. Okay, I have his career earnings. It is over $90 million. So he made $90 million in the NBA. But this is the bylaw in the rule book, so I would think he's going to be okay here. Per NCAA rules, an individual should not be eligible for intercollegiate athletics in a sport if the individual ever competed on a professional team in that sport. Keyword, that sport. Those laws don't ban a former pro athlete from competing in a different sport. Think about, you know, when you have former minor league players like Brandon Whedon going to Oklahoma State. When you have... Uh, Bubba Starling eventually going to save the KU football program as the QB. Um, Chris Wanky was the quarterback of Florida State who played in the minor leagues as well. Like, that is allowed. So this is kind of the same idea there. You might be wondering, well, are you even a good golfer? Or is this just a publicity stunt? No, he has a five handicap, according to PGATour.com. And the North Carolina a golf coach said that having Smith on the team would, quote, be a big deal for a and Does that mean from a golf competitive? I, I don't know. Is five handicap for a college golfer? Is that really good? Is that below average? This something that would just be cool and have them on the team, teach experience to your players about just like the professional world in general. But think about this too. NIL is now in place. J.R. Smith would have to be one of the most sponsorable college athletes, right? I mean, name recognition wise, he's near the top just because people know him. And how cool would it be to be teammates with J.R. Smith? This is why he is a, you are that guy, pal. I just think this is like really cool to do this in general. I do have questions. Like I said, you've made $90 million. Are you really going to be willing to spend the time to do all this homework? But like, imagine being teammates with J.R. Smith. Like, is he going to college parties with all his different teammates? But I guarantee this, like if you're obviously a college athlete and you're old enough to go to a bar. Like, he's, he, he's probably the type of guy that's going to take you to a bar and, like, buy you a drink. And how cool would that be as, like, a college athlete to say, yeah, like, I got to spend some time with J.R. Smith. So, yes, J.R. Smith, you are that guy, pal. Another NBA player, except this guy is sticking in the NBA. I would have thought J.R. Smith would have outlasted this guy, but apparently not. Udonis Haslam has earned yet another one-year contract with Miami Heat, getting $2.6 million, veteran minimum. It'll be his 19th season. With Miami. And I don't see what the big fuss is. Honestly, he's played 82 games. So I don't know what the... Oh, wait. I, did I mention? He's played 82 games dating back to 2015. 
He appeared in one game last year, four in 2019. Andrew Wiggins scored more points in his first four seasons, plus a few games into his fifth, than Haslam has amassed in 18. But the dude is supposedly a great leader. He's great in the locker room. He's great for the young guys. He's great working people out. I think he had that um, the little kerfuffle that occurred last year. So from like a, I don't know, opportunity cost standpoint, if this is costing you the chance to develop another young player, probably not great for the Heat. But if he helps you develop these young players, then I guess it does work out. And just for Udonis Haslam, you are that guy, pal. Like, that is awesome. Good for you. You're making $2.5 million as a 40-year-old who's going to maybe play in one game in the NBA. That is a pretty good living. Jetpack guy, you are that guy. The... I, I just heard about this story today. The FBI is investigating a report of a Los Angeles jetpack guy. He was spotted um, soaring over California and has since been spotted again. A commercial pl- pilot was flying by and radioed into the tower that like he had seen somebody on a jetpack flying within like 300 yards or so of him. And then another pilot radioed in on Wednesday, about 15 miles from the International Airport in LA. He said, use caution, the jet guy, jetpack guy is back. So what is this? Like, is somebody actually Iron Man? Are they trying to be Iron Man? Is there jetpacks? I didn't know jetpacks were like actually a thing. Now it's not, wouldn't be surprising to me because we have so many crazy technological developments that we do have them somewhere but the only jetpacks i've actually seen like out in the open are the ones that go on the water where they're like still attached to the water and they just like get you up in the air is there like a jetpack community somewhere can you buy these somewhere is this the wave of the future are we just going to be taking jetpacks to work you know you get your solar powered jetpack doesn't take up diesel or gas you just fly into work so I don't know who the jetpack guy is. I hope this is real, and I hope it's not just pilots miss seeing something. But you are that guy, jetpack guy. Wherever you are, you're doing uh, great work. Larry Brown is the final guy that is that guy. Larry Brown is 80 years old. He is still coaching college basketball. He just signed a deal with the Memphis uh, Tigers a couple weeks ago. $300,000 to be an assistant for Memphis. And here's what's happened since he's taken over as the assistant at Memphis. They've landed Jalen Duran, who is one of the top recruits, top five. He reclassified from 2022 to 2021. I think he's ranked fourth or something in this class. And Larry Brown literally, I guess you could say, put his life on the line to get him. Larry Brown said he contracted the Delta variant of COVID-19 following 2021 Nike EYBL Peach Jam basketball tournament. Um, He said he got sick right after it was over and was out for about 10 to 12 days. He was vaccinated, which he attributes to helping him make a quicker recovery, which is good. And now he seems to be back to his bagging ways where Memphis is rumored to be landing Amani Bates. And Amani Bates is the number one recruit in the class of 2022, likely to reclassify into this year. I don't know what this means for Memphis. They brought on a bunch of really good recruits a couple years ago when it didn't really turn into anything. But this is different. This would be two top four or five guys in the class. Larry Brown, you are that guy, pal. Congratulations on just continuing to 
do great things in the basketball world, even though sometimes it might be a little bit sketchy. That is the initial debut of You're Not That Guy, pal. I'm Derek Johnson. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it.